This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! DP Review Archive, Sam Yang All-Rounder, The Salvage Mission, and more. Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 331 for April 9th, 2023. And as usual, we're going to head on over to Petapixel for our latest news stories for this past week. DP Review will remain available as an archive after it closes. Digital Photography Review has released an update about its impending closure, addressing concerns from its readers about lost content and announcing an archival effort. DP Review General Manager Scott Everett writes, Dear readers, we've received a lot of questions about what's next for the site. We hear your concerns about losing the content that has been carefully curated over the years and want to assure you that the content will remain available as an archive. We've also heard that you need more time to access the site, so we're going to keep publishing some more stories while we work on archiving. Thank you to this community and the support you've shown us over the years. Scott Everett, General Manager, dpreview.com. Petapixel learned early on that DP Review's owner, Amazon, planned to take the website offline. However, that plan has clearly changed in response to the impassioned feedback from its long, many of its longtime readers. DP Review's YouTube channel has specifically never been mentioned through this process, and it's still not clear what Amazon intends to do with it, though at this point it would not be surprising if the videos remained online as well. Within days of DP Review's initial closure announcement, archival efforts by third parties began in earnest. In light of today's announcement, it appears that external archiving may be unnecessary. However, DP Review's original article about its closure still includes text stating that the website will be available in read-only mode for a limited period afterwards, leaving space for some speculation. This remains a developing story. Everett also announced plans for additional stories to go live on DP Review while the team works on archiving the rest of its content, a move that flies in the face of the original plan to not update the website again following April 10, 2023. In the weeks following DP Review's closure announcement, the team has produced some great content geared toward longtime supporters, including a March Madness-style bracket from which Jordan Drake, who has a new home on Petapixel starting May 1, emerged victorious, and by the numbers look at DP Review's legacy. Ultimately, these same supporters are perhaps largely, largely responsible for Amazon's shift and approach to DP Review's sunset. While the website is still slated to shutter, its content appears destined for official preservation. There's even some new unexpected content on the way to help the longtime photography website go out with a bang. And I think this is great news, and it always bothered me from the initial announcement that Amazon was just going to shut down the site. I mean, they have their AWS platform, they've got deep pockets, they could easily afford to keep the website up in read-only mode so that people can continue to enjoy the content, and new photographers can find the content as well. It's a massive database of information on that site. I mean, after all, it has been 25 years. Sam Yang announces a 35 to 150 millimeter f2 to 2.8 all-rounder zoom lens. 
Sam Yang has announced a new 35-150 f2-2.8 lens for the Sony E-mount, which features a wide zoom range typically associated with an all-in-one style kit lenses, but with a fast variable aperture that is uncommon in that segment. The company says the lens is designed to cover the 35, 50, 85, 135, and 150 focal lengths all in one lens without exceeding a maximum aperture of f2.8. Sam Yang adds that it is made to be a fast all-rounder that can cover a broad range of shooting scenarios from portraiture to travel. Quote, Sam Yang has moved a step forward with its second zoom lens to provide a more convenient user experience. The lens is remarkably versatile as an all-rounder with a fast maximum aperture and provides solutions for photographers seeking to avoid changing lenses, the company says. Whilst primarily designed for portraiture photographers, the wide zoom range is also useful for everyone shooting commercials, events, and travel imagery. The lens is constructed of 21 elements arranged into 18 groups, which includes one hybrid spherical, two spherical, three high refractive, and six extra low dispersion glass elements. Sam Yang says these multiple special lenses allow it to deliver sharp images from edge to edge. It has also been treated with what it calls ultra multi-coating, UMC, which helps minimize ghosting and flaring. Perhaps the largest selling point of the lens outside of its wide zoom range is the fast aperture, which has a range of f2 to f2.8 throughout uh, through f16 range provided a via a nine-bladed diaphragm. Sam Yang says that the fast maximum aperture, regardless of focal length, provides an attractive background blur and can fully separate a subject from the background. The lens supports autofocus via a linear stepping motor, which Sam Yang says provides both accuracy and high-speed responsiveness when shooting both photos and videos. It also has a relatively short minimum focusing distance of 0.33 meters, about 13 inches, at 35 millimeters, and 0.85 meters, about 33.5 inches, at 150 millimeters. And there are some beautiful images of this lens in this article in the show notes. The 35 to 150 f2 to 2.8 lens is also completely weather sealed at the mount and throughout the body of the optic, specifically at 12 areas that the company says prevents damage or contamination from dust, light rain, or snow. Sam Yang says the lens has four additional features that are specific to video shooting dolly zoom shot, cinematic video AF, linear MF focus control, and digital par focal. Depending on the mode selected on the lens, it is, uh, is capable of providing some level of assist for various cinematic shots, as shown below, and a full description of each mode can be found on the company's web store and lens product page. In short, depending on which mode the lens is in and how it has been customized using the Samyang Lens Station accessory, it can be programmed to operate for specific types of shots. And below are a few sample images captured with this new lens, which are, these images are absolutely stunning. I highly recommend you check them out. The Samyang 35-150-2-2.8 lens for the Sony E-mount is currently available to pre-order on Samyang's website for $13.99, though the company has not said when it expects to start shipping them. And that's definitely some exciting news. Uh, if you can get a really good all-rounder lens with an aperture that wide, that is phenomenal. I wonder if maybe eventually they'll offer it for other mounts, such as the Fujifilm X mount, or maybe even a GFX version. That would be cool. I would definitely be interested in either one of those. The Salvage Mission photo series gives old cars new life. Photographer Patty Mayer's new award-winning photo series, The Salvage Mission, focuses on a car graveyard near Mayer's home. 
She was instantly enchanted by the rusty old vehicles, the stories the cars might tell if only they could speak, and how to best visually represent them before they fully decayed and became lost to time. In many ways, Mayer's title of the series, The Salvage Mission, represents how she perceives her mission. She gave the cars new life through her art, placed the cars within a new background and context, and provided a visual return to life for the ancient automobiles. Describing her first visit to the car graveyard, Mayer tells Petapixel that it was overwhelming. There were rows and rows of cars, some with whole trees growing through them. It was a tangled mess of cars and nature. I took quite a few pictures because it was all so unique and interesting, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do with them since my photographic aesthetic is fairly minimal. Mayer opted to digitally extract the cars from the graveyard. She began cutting out a few in Photoshop to see if she could realistically transport the vehicles into new scenes using compositing techniques, which is when the idea for the entire series began to take shape. In total, Mayer visited the car graveyard for source images three times. Once she knew her artistic vision for the project, finding suitable cars for the series was much easier. Quote, once I had a clever idea of what I was doing with the series, it was easier to spot the types of vehicles I was looking for. I would then digitally extract a car from a photo with Photoshop and then place it into a variety of different backgrounds until I found the one that worked best, where it just seemed to sit as though it belonged in that location. Mayer has a large library of backgrounds and scenes she's photographed at her disposal. However, she needed to capture some new ones to fit the story she wanted each photo to tell and how each car might interact with different models. As with all the work that I do, the process is very eclectic and I work by inspiration rather than a specific formula. I tried many ideas that didn't work for various reasons and ended up with a series of nine photos that I really like, Mayer tells Petapixel. Mayer's recent a series recently won first place prize in the Fine Art Photography Awards, earning the top award in the professional fine art category. There are aesthetic similarities between the salvage mission and Mayer's other award-winning work, including an emphasis on minimalism and using models with distinct clothing and obscured faces. This is very intentional as the new photo series was built with Mayer's new book, Story, in mind. The book features many of Mayer's photo series, and The Salvage Mission introduces a theme of the ephemerality uh, uh, of life as Mayer describes it to Petapixel. Life is short and fleeting, and the cars in the graveyard help illustrate the unavoidable effect of time on objects that were once beautiful and new to great effect. The decay itself has a certain beauty as well. Quote, for a long time, I have been caught up by the concept of, of wasabi beauty that occurs when time and erosion affect physical objects. When I found the car graveyard, I realized that this was a perfect example to use since the cars themselves were eroded and decayed by nature and time. And yet this decay and erosion had created its own brand of beauty through rust and decay, says Mayer. The cars aren't just visually interesting subjects and if and of themselves, they are also symbolic of Mayer. Quote, when I discovered the car graveyard, I was struck by the idea that all these cars had once had their own story and were now discarded, left to rust and decay, and eventually be reclaimed by nature. The thought struck me that everything deserves a final story, and so I set out to do just that, give some of these cars a final story. Photographing objects that are well past their prime and no longer serving their purpose also reflects some of Mayer's per, uh, general approach to her art. 
She explains to Petapixel that she spends a lot of time thinking about the temporary nature of life and that death is inevitable. While that may seem morbid or morose to some, for Mayer, it's something she embraces. It motivates her to take risks and be bold. The rest of Patty Mayer's visually stunning photography is available on her website and her new book, Story, which is now, uh, available now. The Salvage Mission is also on display as part of a solo exhibition at the Abuozo Gallery in Toronto, Canada. And she does have some absolutely stunning images in this series, which are in this article in the show notes. And I highly encourage my listeners to check them out for themselves. Now, when I lived in Georgia, we had a really cool automobile graveyard just north of Atlanta that I went and photographed some of the vehicles several times over the years that I lived there. But I never came up with a concept that I wanted to use them for. So my hat's off to her for coming up with this creative and unique way to repurpose these old decaying vehicles. Good job. Now I'm going to take a break right here and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Urban wildlife photography teaches people about their shy neighbors. In the latest episodes of Andrew Budziak's Edge of Frame series about urban wildlife photography, he continues his trek eastward across Canada, this time making productive stops in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Montreal, and Quebec. In each episode of Edge of Frame, including the two most recent ones, Budziak has chatted with locals. It's not just part of making interesting video content, it's an integral part of his wildlife photography process. Quote, Talking to people who live in these cities is fantastic. One of the things I'm always curious about is how local people view urban wildlife. Do they love it? Do they hate it? Do they not think about it at all, Budziak tells Petapixel. When you're in a new place, asking where often yields great results. Locals know where the animals are. No guidebook or website is as good as local knowledge. In Saskatoon, Budziak took local knowledge even further by chatting with local legend Mike Digout, known as the Beaver Guy. Digout is an expert on Canada's iconic semi-aquatic mammals and spends considerable time observing and recording them. In addition to capturing fantastic photos of beavers with Digout's assistance and insight, Budziak also saw beautiful pelicans and prairie dogs. It's incredible how many different animals can be seen quickly when a photographer knows where to look and adds a healthy dose of good fortune. Quote, your city is a wild place. You might not know that, but it is. Once you know where and how to look, you'll be amazed at the amount of wildlife in your city, says Budziak. There's something magical about having these encounters with wildlife in the city. Seeing wildlife in an urban setting can be almost a mythical experience. In beautiful Montreal, Budziak was treated to many wildlife opportunities. Despite its size and relatively dense population, Montreal has more than 1,000 local parks. 
including some huge ones like Mount Royal Park, which is 692 acres, and Parc Jean Drapeau, the site of the Canadian Grand Prix. Budziak photographed raccoons and foxes, both fun and exciting subjects. They're also commonly found in urban areas as they are highly adaptable. Quote, our cities, forests, waterways, and parks are full of life, says Budziak. However, these animals are under constant threat by people, whether it's cars, pollution, or other disruptive behavior. We need to be actively protecting urban wildlife from things like development. Photography is a great way to raise awareness and to help people learn more about these often invisible neighbors. You can't protect what you can't see, and photography is a wonderful tool for showing people what's out there, Budziak says. There are two episodes remaining in Budziak's Edge of Frame urban wildlife video series. In previous episodes, Budziak visited Vancouver and Edmonton, encountering diverse wildlife, including seals, rabbits, and even a scary run-in with a mountain lion. And I think this is an absolutely fantastic idea, and I think it's a great series. I'm definitely going to head over to his YouTube channel and check out his videos. You can find the latest one in this article in today's show notes, and uh, actually his last two, and check them out for yourself. TT Artisans is bringing its 27mm f2.8 AF lens to the Sony E and Nikon Z mounts. TT Artisan has announced it is bringing its 27mm f2.8 autofocus lens currently available for Fujifilm X-mount to both Sony E and Nikon Z-mount cameras. The 27mm f2.8 was TT Artisan's first autofocus lens for the Fujifilm X-mount cameras and was released last October for $149. It was originally advertised as a compact pancake-style design with a 41mm equivalent focal length on 35mm cameras, that was designed for everyday shooting. As such, it's quite lightweight and under 93 grams and measures about one inch long. The lens features a construction of six elements arranged into five groups and its aperture range of f2.8 through f16 is operated via seven-bladed diaphragm. That lens arrangement includes two high refractive index elements that can help suppress color differences and control spherical aberration. None of that is changing with the added Z and E mount option, although the exact weight of the lenses will vary between 88 and 100 grams depending on which mount is selected. The lens still has a 56 degree angle of view, which the company says helps produce a distinctive visual style that is ideal for still life, close up and travel photography. As before, the lens features autofocus, which is powered by a stepping motor. More specifically, the company says it adopts a STM Plus leading screw design that it says allows it to be compact enough to fit into the small lens, but still be powerful enough to provide smooth autofocus capability. TT Artisan also says that it is silent and works in tandem with cameras that have in-body image stabilization to allow it to work for both stills and video. TT Artisan goes so far as to say the motor is fast and accurate enough to work with a camera's eye autofocus. The lens was originally designed for Fujifilm cameras, so it remains to be seen if it is good enough to support Sony cameras, which have a significantly more complex autofocus system. Photographers can toggle between manual and autofocus via a physical switch, and the aperture is also controllable via either the dial on the lens or through the camera when the dial is set to A. Of note, not all Fujifilm cameras supported automatic control of the aperture, and TT Artisan hasn't released a full list of supported cameras for either Nikon or Sony. Sample photos captured with the lens can be found in Petapixel's coverage of the Fujifilm X-mount release. 
TT Artisan tells Petapixel it has not yet determined when the new lens mounts will be available, but does confirm that the price will remain constant at $149. Expect the new camera mount options to be added to TT Artisan's product page for the lens in the near future. And this is definitely some exciting news for Sony and Nikon shooters. Now, as you know, I did pick up this lens just to try it out and see how it compared to the Fujifilm 27mm f2.8 that I already had. Now, the Fuji lens is much more compact. It is weather sealed, where the TT Artisan lens is not. And the Artisan lens does still have some issues with wicked lens flaring if you're not careful when shooting it in bright sunlight. So just wanted to give you a full disclosure on that so that you have a more informed uh, uh, opinion when looking to purchase that lens for yourself. Scientists have created a huge 5.7 terapixel global image of Mars. A group at Caltech's Bruce Murray Laboratory for Planetary Visualization has unveiled a 5.7 terapixel global image of Mars. The data is freely available to researchers and the public through NASA's planetary data system and allows users to explore Mars in vivid detail. The massive mosaic image was created at a scale of 5 meters per pixel and is comprised of more than 110,000 individual images captured by the Context Camera, CTX, aboard NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, MRO. The 5.7 trillion pixel image covers 99.5% of the Martian surface, between 88 degrees south and 88 degrees north. The remaining 0.5% was either not imaged or available in high enough quality when the mosaic was created. Quote, the image took six years and tens of thousands of hours of labor to build. If it were printed out at 300 dpi, the standard printing resolution, the resulting image could be used as a sunshade for the Rose Bowl and a significant chunk of the Rose Bowl's parking lot, explains Caltech. The scale of this is really unprecedented, adds Jay Dickinson, or Dixon, I'm sorry, Murray Lab Manager and Research Scientist in Image Processing. Dixon developed the idea for the project when he was hired to establish the Murray Lab in 2016. Dixon and his colleagues used an algorithm that identified features of Mars' surface to align all the images. Overlapping images were blended by calculating a path of least contrast between two images and then joining them together like jigsaw puzzle pieces, Caltech says. Dixon adds that processing is non-destructive and doesn't involve blurring lines. Nonetheless, a map of all image boundaries has also been realized, allowing researchers to accurately trace every pixel of the mosaic to its original parent image. Most of the 110,000 source images were processed and stitched using this algorithm. However, about 13,000 remaining images required hand-stitching, a labor-intensive process that took three years. The problematic images were often partially obscured by dust storms and clouds on Mars, which tripped up the automatic alignment process. While the new virtual tour of Mars is interesting enough for civilians, it is a particular utility for scientists and researchers. Quote, mission data are a gift that keeps on giving. NASA's research and analysis program allowed us to complete this huge mosaic and make it universally available. I can't wait to see everything people do with it and the science it enables, says Bethany Elrin, professor of planetary science and associate director of the Keck Institute for Space Studies. Although scientists have access to more detailed, higher resolution images of various locations on Mars, this is the first time that a global-scale image has been available at this level of detail. 
Prior global images were around 100 meters per pixel. The new image represents a 20-fold increase in resolution in both dimensions of the Martian surface, providing 400 times more information for a given area, says Caltech. This is just stunning. You have to see the images in this article in the show note. Uh, the information included in the mosaic is impressive enough, but the accessibility of the image should be emphasized. Geographic information system company Esri developed the scene view interface that users access to view the giant image of Mars, and the result is something that anyone can use. Quote, I wanted something that would be accessible to everyone and without a scene. School children can use this now. My mother, who just turned 78, can use this now. The goal is to lower the barriers for people who are interested in exploring Mars, Dixon says. Dixon also points out that while he and his team have spent six years on this project, it's only possible because of the two decades of work done by the MRO team. The MRO and its context camera were built 20 years ago and continue to do impressive work that underpins hundreds, if not thousands, of incredible research projects. The global CTX mosaic of Mars is available for users to explore in extensive detail via a dedicated Caltech website, which you can find in this article in today's show notes. And that's the last news article I have for this week. Now, I was going to do six rumor stories as well, and I recorded this episode once, but something went wrong with the recording and it turned out really bad, so I had to come back and re-record it. And it's getting late, and I'm tired, and I've got a little bit of a head cold, so I'm going to skip the rumor stories for this week. I apologize to my audience, but that's just the nature of the beast this particular week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap episode 331 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. If you're not currently a subscriber, why not? It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you a thing. And I have a massive back catalog of episodes that you can go back and listen to for hours of your enjoyment. Now, please also remember to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new videos release. And I did just post a new one yesterday on Saturday that you want to check out on why Fujifilm is the best camera system. Also, remember, you still have 10 days to get your entries in for my latest giveaway, where you have a chance to win a Platypod Extreme flat tripod, thanks to the good folks at Platypod. Now, Platypod sponsored the contest by providing the prize, but they do not sponsor the show. Full transparency there, just so you know.
And I want to thank Dr. Larry Tiefenbrunn as well as Skip Cohen from Platypod for being kind enough to generously donate the prize. All right, that is it, folks. I will see you all again on Thursday.